I am grateful to Dr. Mike Graves and Reverend Tyler Heston, who ably filled the pulpit while I was away on study leave and vacation for the last several Sundays. It was good to be away, and it's really good to be back. Today, we began a new sermon series called Recalibrate. Back in March, when we went on lockdown, I ceased going to the gym three times a week. Part of my gym ritual was to step on the scales at the gym once a week. I like the scale there at the gym because it's accurate. Unlike those scales at home in the bathroom where we step off and we sometimes say, I think it's a little off. At the gym, there's this sign posted on the scale that gives the date of when that particular scale was last recalibrated back to zero, so you know that it's accurate. I think many of us would say that since March, we've been, well, a little off, not quite ourselves, not quite accurate or right, but how is it that we recalibrate? In the midst of the uncertainty and fear of COVID, in the midst of the protests for racial justice, in the midst of the heightened tensions of an election year, in the midst of the wildfires devastating millions of acres and thousands of lives, in the midst of the rising jobless rate, how can we find our center, our ground of being, our spiritual footing? What do people of faith do to recalibrate? A recent book was released called Ricochet, What to Do When Change Happens. The author, psychologist Nick Tasler, argues that we should be proactive when our lives face upheaval, when life throws an endless set of curveballs at us, we need to find strategies to cope rather than just becoming paralyzed with panic or letting the disappointment that we feel lead us down the path of despair. In the coming weeks, we will look at how several different biblical characters recalibrated. You know, the Bible was actually written more for a time like this than for the time you and I were living in before mid-March. Most of the Bible stories are set in a time of crisis. The story of God unfolds for the ancient people in times of war and political uprising and famine and economic despair and cultural confusion. And we could write dozens of sermons on characters of the Bible who faced personal turmoil or a societal crisis and ask the question, where is God now? And how will I find my way as God's person now? The story of Noah comes only six chapters into the Bible. Just a few pages, really, after God creates the Garden of Eden, and already life has become a mess. God's heart is broken in two because the people have become wicked and evil and violent. A fracture occurs between the creator of all of life and the creation itself, God's headstrong creatures. One scholar puts it this way, what will God do with God's ruined handiwork? Will God smash it like a potter smashes a spoiled clay pot? Well, this is where Noah enters the scene. 
the text describes Noah as one who walks with God, meaning one who has integrity. And so God summons Noah and gives Noah an assignment, build an ark. It seems clear to me that if God wanted to, God could have just built the boat, put the keys to the boat under the Christmas tree, and offered Noah a way to get through this crisis. But no, instead, God gives Noah the blueprints for building the boat with his own hands. This many cubits wide, this kind of wood from this particular lumberyard. Surely Noah could have wrung his hands as the rivers began to crest and the water started seeping up under the floorboards of his home, but Noah didn't stand by and say, there isn't anything I can do. Noah didn't become overwhelmed. Noah was too busy sawing and measuring and packing. Noah built a rescue capsule, and he loaded in all of his family members, even the annoying in-laws, and two of every creature on the earth, even those mosquitoes and snakes. Noah created a rescue capsule so that life could go on. I think if we look around, we too can see that a lot of folks have been doing what Noah did. Since COVID hit, we too became builders. We built something. We did something. Some of us adopted a new pet. Some of us took up running. Some started gardening. Others discovered that the kitchen is a place for cooking, not just for stacking papers and takeout boxes. In the spring, it was hard to purchase a bicycle or a bike helmet because everyone from toddlers to seniors were out on the bike trails. Folks in my neighborhoods pulled out the lawn chairs, placed them on the median, and began getting to know one another. And now that it's fall and the flood has not subsided, families are creating learning pods for their kids to share in online school with other kids. We are building, yes, we are building a rescue capsule, building an ark, do something. It helps us recalibrate to do something. But pay attention to what Noah builds. He builds something that is not just for himself. It isn't a little sunfish sailboat for one person. Noah builds more than a houseboat for his own kinfolk. Noah builds an ark big enough for two of every single creature on the whole earth. Noah reaches out to care for all of creation. His building is for others. He attempts to create a rescue capsule for those who are unable to build for themselves. My friend Tammy is an artist and she owns her own business. But her business has been much slower since COVID hit. So she's been volunteering in the community. She volunteers at Thelma's Kitchen, a restaurant on Troost, where anyone can eat regardless of their ability to pay. Pay a dollar, pay $20, pay nothing. You can eat either way. And many of those who volunteers to greet you or serve the food to you are themselves homeless or very poor. Thelma did something, 
and lots of folks, rich and poor, have started doing something so that all people can eat nutritious food. In Nashville, a young man had started a business a while back called Placemat. Placemat provided chefs to go into homes and cook for small, elegant dinner parties, or maybe for a wedding shower or a family reunion. It was a very high-end cooking situation. But when COVID hit, the owner shifted his focus and started a not-for-profit using local farmers and out-of-work restaurant employees and the commercial kitchens that he had access to, he began providing meals for hundreds of hungry families every day in Nashville. <laughs> he even gave my out-of-work son a job. Like Noah, so many people today are finding a way to build an ark an ark that provides safe passage for others. Noah built something to compassionately provide for the vulnerable so that they too would survive the storm and the flood. Even during a pandemic, there are ways that all of us can build an ark that includes other people. And you and I, we don't have to build the same thing, but all of us are called to build and to preserve life to sustain life for all who are part of God's beloved community. Like me, you know this Noah story so well. It's such a well-known story that we even place the ark and the animals on children's wallpaper in the nursery. But you know, there is something I had never noticed about the story of Noah until this week. Noah, the builder, never speaks. Throughout the entire story from chapter 6 through chapter 9 of Genesis, Noah is silent. The only one with the speaking part is God. Repeatedly, the text says, And God said, Make the ark three levels. And God said, Go into the ark. And God said, Go out of the ark. Noah gets no speaking lines at all. Near the end, after the flood subsides, God says, be fruitful and multiply. It is the same line that God speaks at the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. This is not finally a story about Noah. It is a story about God. God is recreating the earth, and God has recruited Noah to help build the future. Unlike the first creation story where God acted alone in this, in this second creation story in chapter 6, God partners with another person, another human being, to create a new and different world. Noah recalibrates by becoming God's building partner. This summer, I read a novel called Deacon King Kong. I was on a walk one day in the neighborhood. I ran into a friend, and he said, I'm reading the funniest book that's also kind of serious called Deacon King Kong. Well, I'd heard of the book, but such a dumb name, Deacon King Kong. But because I trust this friend, I went home, and I downloaded it, and I started reading it immediately, and I realized it's a novel about a deacon in the church. Now, if he was a deacon in our church, 
we would be having a special meeting to discuss whether or not he should remain a deacon. This old deacon is usually inebriated. Day and night, he drinks a home brew that one of his friends makes, and it's called King Kong. The deacon bemoans the demise of his neighborhood, a Brooklyn housing project that has fallen prey to organized crime and daily drug deals right out in the open in the courtyard. The deacon laments that the star pitcher on the Little League team that he had coached has now given up baseball and become a drug kingpin in the neighborhood. He knows that this particular young man has the potential to make it in the big leagues of baseball. So the deacon takes matters into his own hands. The deacon risks his own life to try to create a new future for this young man. In the rising floodwaters of crime and despair in the housing projects, the deacon can see that there is still hope for a new creation. You know, like the deacon, Noah is not perfect. Read the story in detail and you will see that parts of it never make it into a children's book. But Noah was willing to build an ark because he was willing to become God's partner in creating a new reality, one that was marked by God's love and compassion. I remember years ago when Dave and I traveled to see relatives in Munich, Germany. We took a day trip to visit Dachau, the Nazi concentration camp. It was as terrible as you can imagine. Maybe you've seen one of these places. But at the end of the day, we walked through the chapels that have been built there at Dachau since the camps became memorials. At Dachau, there are several different chapels, a Jewish one, a Greek Orthodox one, a few others, but the Protestant chapel, it gripped me in a way that few buildings ever have because it was all rounded. By that, I mean that the architect was asked to build a chapel with no right angles or as few as could possibly be. Everything about the Dachau concentration camp was on a grid of 90 degree angles. The prisoners were even required to wake up in the morning and make their beds with precise corners on the bedding lest they be punished. And so when they built the Protestant chapel, it was to be a protest against that rigidity that suffocated life. So the altar was round and the walls were curved. They built a place on earth to proclaim that God has a new and hopeful future for us. God partnered with Noah to build a new future. But Noah was not the last person that God recruited. God also chose Moses and Abraham and Sarah, and Ruth, and Mary, and Paul, and Peter, and James, and Lydia, people of integrity who walked with God, and God is not done with this building project. God calls every Christian to build something that saves the world. <laughs>